You're listening to TrueTalkRadio.com, the only place to be. This is the Howie Silbiger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Call 1-877-669-1292. And I'm Howie Silberger. Welcome to the program, the, the new version of the program, the new format. We will be on until 9 o'clock tonight. Taking your calls and doing what we do best right here on the Howie Silberger Show. Number to call is one 669 1292 That's one 669 1292 if you want to get in on the conversation here on the Howie Silberger Show. We start to show off with some breaking news. A Jewish man was verbally and physically assaulted in the Brooklyn, New York neighborhood of Flatbush. In the Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon attack, two men who may have been drunk hit the Jewish man in the face with a belt and yelled anti-Jewish racial slurs. No age was given for the victim. The victim told police that the men did not speak to each other before the attacks. The New York Police Department is investigating the incident as a hate crime and it is the fourth attack on Jewish victims in Brooklyn in the last week. And there have been so many attacks on Jews in the last six months in New York City that a New York City, a New York City um, alderman, a, a man who sits on New York City Council, asked the question, is it safe for religious Jews to be walking in the streets of New York? Imagine New York City, the city in North America that holds the most amount of Jews, I mean, it's the highest density, it's the highest population of Jews in any city outside of Israel. And a, a city councilor has to ask the question, is it safe for people who are identifiably Jewish to walk the streets in New York? You never had this. Uh, well, you had this, you had this 20 and 30 years ago. But this has cropped up again. This kind of hatred has cropped up again under the Democratic leadership of Bill de Blasio. He didn't have this under previous mayors. And it is, uh, it is sick and it's, it's scary and it's, it's horrific. And I'm hoping and praying. You see? Hoping and praying. Everyone's always saying, don't give us your prayers anymore. Do something. But I'm really hoping that the New York City Council gets onto the police and, and does something to crack down on this. How many more Jews have to be attacked before some concrete action is taken in New York to protect the Jews of New York? It's a, it's a scary situation when so many Jews are living in one city and being attacked on, a, on an almost daily basis now. Every day you pick up the paper, every day you take a look, every day you, you, you hear of a Jew being attacked in New York. It's scary. Moving on, the Jewish anti the well used to call the Bnei B'rith Anti Defamation League, and then they dropped Bnei B'rith when they decided they didn't want to be Jewish anymore. So the Anti Defamation League has a has an issue, and they've they've released a uh, a statement against a Jewish newspaper, the Jewish Press. Once again, we're going back to New York and the Jewish Press in New York for publishing articles containing inflammatory rhetoric about the. LGBTQ community, that's the gay community. Last month, the director of the organization's New Jersey, New York region sent a letter to the publisher of the Jewish press expressing concerns about articles denigrating LBDGQ people. So uh, basically the newspaper was, was putting down gay people. The Brooklyn-based paper largely serves the Orthodox Jewish community. Now, the letter from Evan Bernstein to Naomi Maurer specifically mentions a July op-ed titled The Pride Parade, What Are They Proud Of? that likens gay people marching in the Pride Parade to animals, adulterers, and thieves. One of the obvious differences between man and animals, said the uh, newspaper article, is that man can curb his desire while animals can't. Bernstein wrote a letter to the newspaper on July 18th, a week after the op-ed appeared. 
We are specifically concerned, and especially concerned, about the impact that the Jewish press's use of editorial discretion will have on the LGBTQ Jewish youth, in particular, who may already be questioning their place in the Jewish community, the letter said. The ADL said that it sent the letter in response to more than 25 complaints submitted through its website after the paper's articles. Three days before the letter was sent, the Jewish Telegraph Agency had reported on accusations that the editor of the paper, Elliot Resnick, repeatedly made racist and homophobic remarks on his Twitter account. Resnick, in social media posts over the last year, has called African religions primitive and the gay rights movement evil. He also questioned the existence of white supremacists and white nationalists and asked how adults having sexual relations with teenagers constitutes assault. At the time, Resnick defended his comments to the Jewish Telegraph Agency. Mauer, the publisher, said she told Resnick that the tweets were unacceptable, but the paper was not taking any further action. The Jewish press describes itself as the largest independent weekly Jewish newspaper in the United States and has print and online circulation of about 95,000, according to its publisher. The publication says it champions Torah values and ideals from a centrist or modern Orthodox perspective. It was a Jewish Telegraph Agency client before ending its subscription in December 2014. Now, the Anti-Defamation League said it has made multiple attempts over the span of a month to secure an off-the-record meeting, but was unable to do so. Maurer told the Jewish Telegraph Agency that the paper had agreed to a meeting, but the ADL canceled when the Jewish press insisted that it be recorded. Here's the quote. How recording the meeting would defeat their stated purpose eludes me. Maurer wrote in an email, Frankly, though, I think their attempted spin underscores the wisdom of recording the proceedings. Asked about the ADL's criticism of the article, Maurer said that the paper was open to hearing its concerns, but as an orthodox paper, it aims to reflect the teaching of the Torah in all its works. We are mindful, however, those teachings are sharply inconsistent with the fundamental views of the LGBTQ community, Maurer wrote, but we're also not in the business of trying to hurt people. A meeting with the ADL, given their recent focus on LGBTQ issues, we thought, would help us to better determine whether we were within proper journalistic guidelines in our treatment of those issues, or whether our language was appropriate or not. We were not able to have that private discussion, and that is a shame. The Orthodox interpretation of Jewish law prohibits homosexual acts or same-sex physical relationships. A number of Orthodox authorities have called for sensitivity to observant Jews who are gay. Last month, a young Orthodox man from South Africa committed suicide in Israel, reportedly because he was struggling with his sexual orientation. The story here is about the teenagers within the LGBTQ community and the struggles they are facing within the Orthodox community in which they live, Bernstein said. Many of these teenagers are shunned from the only lives they know after they come out, and these same communities have access and could likely read these, teen, these Jewish press articles. Now, I, I, have, uh, I have voiced over the years my opposition to the Gay Pride Parade. I, I've been very clear about my stand on homosexuality. Um, and so has Jewish press, and I, I differ with them slightly. I know that homosexuality is banned from the Torah. It's, it's, it's an abomination according to biblical standards. This I know. This is clear. I also know that I am not God. And I have no right whatsoever to judge somebody based on what sins they commit. So if somebody chooses to commit a sin and chooses to perform an action that is not appropriate within uh, Torah standards, it is not my job to judge them. I, I don't care what they do in their bedroom. My opposition to the gay pride parade goes more towards the debauchery that's displayed in this parade and how, that, how, how, how that's allowed in society. If you want to be gay and you want to do stuff in your bedroom and you want to do stuff that, that I don't approve of and I would not want to see or watch or hear about, that is your prerogative, and I really don't care. It's none of my business what happens behind your closed door. That's your business, not my business. When you bring it to the streets, it becomes my business. And that's what I care about. I, I, don't, care. I don't have to see it. I don't care what you do, and I'll still be nice to you. If you're nice to me, I'm still nice to you. If you, if you like me, I still like you. 
And if you're going to be a nice and, and respectful person, I will still be a nice and respectful person to you. I will reciprocate everything you give me as I hope that you will reciprocate everything I give you. But your sexual preference or your sexual choices or your sexual orientation is your problem. Why can't we keep private stuff private? Why does private stuff have to be out public? Why, do, why does everybody have to know what everybody else's business is? What you do in your bedroom and who you do it with is really not my concern. And nor do I care or want to know. I don't think I could be clearer than that. I won't condemn you for doing anything in your bedroom. Whatever you do in your bedroom is your problem. I don't have to hear about it either. I don't have to watch it. So keep it off the streets and I'm happy. I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show right here on the True Talk Radio Network. Number to call, one 669 1292 That's one 669 1292 The fact that a... Uh, that an Orthodox person who is who is gay, who felt he was gay or questioning his sexuality, decided to kill himself rather than talking to somebody and trying to work it out is the saddest thing I've ever heard in my life. Shunning people from the community. I think we should be beyond that. I think we've come to a point in, in society, I've come to a point in, uh, in time, I've come to a, a point... Where we should, where we should be a little more understanding. We we live in a diaspora. We live in a very secular world. Jews live in a in a in a very secular world, and some are influenced by the society around them. And we have to understand that we can't hold people up to holy values. We can't hold people up to uh, on a pedestal that they can't live on. While living in the diaspora, it's impossible. So let's just back off. Leave people alone. Live and let live. And let God do the judging. Because that's the way I see, I see things. Once again, I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show right here on the True Talk Radio Network. We'll take a little break. When we come back, we'll take your calls and continue the show. One eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two is the number to call. One eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. This is the Howie Silberger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Secretary. 
that his dad had signed. I'd love to show you how to put them on my son. But I'm going out of town. Show and show you'll find someone. Teach me, teach me, father, about the things we do. Teach me, teach me, father, what it means to be a Jew. I'd really like to Bigger show on the True Talk Radio Network. Call 1 Silberger, number to call one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two to get in on the conversation here on the Howie Silberger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Thank you so much for joining me on this Labor Day weekend. I, I do appreciate you taking time out of your evening to come and spend with me, and uh, I'd love to hear from you. So give me a call one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. So we have to mark we have to mark this week down in history. Uh, not only are we starting the new format of the Howie Silberger Show this week, it's the one-hour format, we will be, uh, by the way, going on for three nights a week starting after the Jewish holidays. So starting late October, we'll be expanding the show to three nights a week. It'll be one hour for three nights a week. I will let you know what nights and what time, and we'll have all that information coming up in about a month. So uh, just keep watching the Howie Silberger Show page on uh, on Facebook, and keep listening to the show, and you'll have all that information. 
But another reason that we should mark this month down in history is that the United Nations, their anti-racism committee, criticized Palestinian authorities in a report calling on, quote, the state of Palestine, unquote, to act against racist hate speech and hate crimes, including incitement to violence against Israelis and Jews. Now, the UN has never, ever condemned the so-called Palestinians. Never condemned the so-called Palestinians. They've always condemned the Israelis over their treatment of the so-called Palestinians. They've never condemned the so-called Palestinians over their treatment of the Israelis. And now the UN has come out with a statement saying that, the, well, let, let, me, let me explain this whole state of Palestine thing in the UN because it's very confusing. And the reason it is confusing is because the UN has not officially recognized the state of Palestine. The UN General Assembly and the Security Council has not recognized the state of Palestine. But the UN is made up of various committees, and those various committees are independent of the Security Council and the General Assembly, and those various committees are allowed to recognize countries that the General Assembly doesn't recognize. So until the General Assembly recognizes, the world body recognizes these countries, they don't officially exist. But if the committees under the General Assembly, the committees created in the UN, recognize a certain states, let's say the state of Palestine, then they could refer to the state of Palestine even though it's not a real state and it doesn't exist. I know it's it's convoluted and this is the way the UN is set up. It's, it's really a convoluted way to do things. It's kind of stupid. And uh, it's set up that way because uh, the UN's run by Arab dictatorships and this is what they had to do in order to create uh, states that don't exist in order to, to victimize the state of Israel even more. So there are various UN committees that recognize the state of Palestine, but the UN itself doesn't. So the committees are allowed to refer to the state of Palestine, while the United Nations doesn't refer to the state of Palestine. So one of those committees is the UN Committee on the Elimination of Racial Discrimination. In a report on the Palestinians, it said it was concerned about hate speech in certain media outlets, especially those controlled by Hamas, social media, public official statements, and school curricula and textbooks, which fuels hatred and may incite violence, particularly hate speech against Israelis, which at times also fuels anti-Semitism. So that's, that's the statement, and it, it just holds off, just holds off just a little bit about you know these, these hateful statements and the social media and public official statements and school curricula and textbooks. It doesn't talk about, um, it doesn't talk about regular media, radio and television, that are, that are controlled by these these terror groups that run these organizations, and it doesn't talk about how these this hate speech and this 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 culture of hate uh, actually also encourages violence against Israelis, encourages terrorism against Israelis, villainizes uh, Israelis and the Israeli people. It doesn't talk about that. So, you see, the UN could condemn the, the Palestinian state, or whatever they call it, the state of Palestine. They could condemn that state for hate speech in certain media outlets, especially those controlled by Hamas, social media, public official statements, and school curricula and textbooks, which fuels hatred and may incite violence, particularly hate speech. Violence, particularly hate speech, not part, violence, particularly um, terrorism against Israelis, which also fuels anti-Semitism. Well, at least they made the connection that today's anti-Semitism is also anti. Today's anti. I'm sorry, anti-Zionism is also is also to a certain extent anti-Semitism. I don't know if I agree with that statement totally, but 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 they've made that connection. The UN. The report marked the first time that the panel has criticized Palestinian officials, according to UN Watch, which is Hillel Neuer's Geneva-based organization that addresses the session leading to the report. The committee called on. Ramallah to better protect journalists, human rights activists, and political dissidents, to act against incitement to violence by public figures, politicians, and media officials, and to remove inflammatory and discriminatory images and text from school curricula and textbooks. The panel also recommends that Palestinian officials ensure that minorities enjoyed full rights in public services, especially Bedouins, and that minorities found adequate representation in politics. 
Near the top of the report titled Concluding Observations on the Combined Initial and Second Periodic Reports of the State of Palestine. Sounds like an exciting report to read. (sighs) Yeah. The committee said that Israel's presence in the West Bank, its settlements, and its blockade of Gaza posed severe challenges for the state party in fully implementing its obligations under the convention. At the committee's 99th session, held earlier this month. During a review of the State of Palestine, some delegates referred to examples of anti-Israel, anti-Jewish content in Palestinian textbooks and state-owned media outlets. What happened this week was unprecedented, Hillel Neuer, the executive director of UN Watch, said after the session. Since 1974, when Yasser Arafat and the PLO were welcomed into the United Nations, this is the first time that the world body spotlight was officially placed on Palestinian racism, discrimination, and anti-Semitism. One member of the committee, Brazil's Deputy Special Secretary for Human Rights, Silvio Albuquerque, asked a Palestinian representative about the presence of anti-Semitic and discriminatory content in textbooks used by children and teenagers in Palestinian schools. According to the press release issued by the NGO Monitor, an Israel-based nonprofit, citing information he received from pro-Israel groups at the sidelines of the session, Albuquerque said he was shown various examples of allegedly racist and anti-Semitic language content, and textbooks. Other committee members also asked the Palestinian delegation to respond to similar allegations. The Palestinian delegation, headed by Deputy Foreign Minister for Multilateral Affairs, Amar Hizaji, deflected critical questions, asserting Ramallah's opposition to racial discrimination. The important point is that the UN, the Palestinians are being forced to deal with their own anti-Semitism, including in their textbooks, said NGO monitor President Gerald Steinberg, an Israeli political science professor who addressed this week's review session. As opposed to the usual procedure in the UN Human Rights Council, he added, the Committee on the Elimination of Racial Discrimination listened to the presentation of pro-Israel groups and used the argument made to challenge the Palestinians. This is a major precedent. The State of Palestine joined the Committee on the Elimination of Racial Discrimination in 2004, But although states might file reports on their implementation of international conventions on elimination of all forms of racial discrimination one year after a setting, then every two years after that, the Palestinians submitted their first report only in March 2019. The 62-page document basically clears the Palestinians of any wrongdoings while reportedly accusing Israel of the worst offenses. The state of Palestine opposes racism and racial discrimination in all its forms, it states, At the same time, it claims that leading decision-makers in the Occupation Authority Israel incite racial discrimination and violence against Palestinians without being held to account for their words and deeds. Really, the Palestinian Authority opposes racism and racial discrimination. That is the funniest line ever written in any report ever anywhere. How many Jews could go and live in Ramallah today? How often does the Palestinian Authority leadership have to repeat the line that no Jew will be allowed to live in their land if the state of Palestine is created? Before everyone believes that this is what they're really saying. Why is it that when you discriminate against Jews, when you, when you, when you do not allow Jews to, to live amongst you, when you make your land Yud and Rhein, why is that acceptable? But it's not acceptable the other way. Why is it not acceptable for Jews to say, hey, it's a Jewish state, and we want only Jews to live in the Jewish state? Why is that unacceptable, but it's okay the other way? And why would, why would the Arabs saying that we don't want Jews to live in our land, and the Arabs expelling Jews from the land and not allowing Jews into the land, Why is that not considered racial discrimination by these uh, by the UN Rights uh, Discrimination Council? Why the hypocrisy? Why the double standard? It's a question that I, I can't answer. There's, there's no answer to this question. Because that's the way it is. That's the way the world is. Because we're Jews and we're held to this kind of standard. And we're held to this kind of double standard. It's... It's scary. And I know I say it's scary a lot, but it really is scary when you think about it. 
that the whole world could condemn Jews, the media, everybody in the world could condemn the Israeli state for their alleged treatment of Palestinians. But Jewish life means nothing to them. And when Jews are killed, and when Palestinian, so-called Palestinian media incites violence and incites terror against the Jewish people, teaching their children that martyrdom is the way to go, and that killing a Jew gives you instant, instant access to 72 virgins and, 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 uh, and full heaven. And that's acceptable to the world. I'm very confused by that. I don't understand why that's acceptable. And I can't accept the, uh, the answer, and I know a lot of people will give me the answer, because the world hates the Jews. I can't accept that answer. There has to be more to it than that. There has to be more to it than that. It can't just be the world hates the Jews, because if that's the case, then, uh, then, then we're really in a lot bigger trouble than, than we were before, right? If the whole world hates the Jews, then we're in huge trouble. So it has to be a different answer, doesn't it? Or do we accept the fact that we're the most hated people in the world? Do we have to accept that? Is that something we can accept? Is that something we should accept? one 1292 is the number to call. one 669 1292 I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show right here on the True Talk Radio Network. Trust. 
I was young, I heard a tale of a giant standing tall, and his son, no so small. They shared a dream to see the king, they hungered for the day, and hurried on their way. As they neared the two despaired, a wall rose to the skies above the giant's eyes. Wait, my son, said he, climb upon me, and after you arise, you will be my eyes. And we will do it, brothers, after us, there'll be no others, you and I will do what giants want to do. Small, we're standing tall like soldiers, riding high, cause we're on our father's shoulders. Our fathers were giants, righteous men. We are small compared to them. But our deeds, upon their deeds, together they will bring Moshiach, our King. Giants wanted to So stand and take the credit We will be the ones to end it Though we're small, we're standing tall Like soldiers riding high Cause we're on our father's shoulders It's up to us to hammer home that final blow Father started long ago, compelling us to follow. This is 
the Howie Silbiger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Call 1-877-669-1292. So we all know that Poland passed a law last year maybe it's two years ago already, saying that you're not allowed to say that Poland was responsible for any part of the atrocities that happened during World War II. And if you do that, you could be banned, barred from entering Poland. If you do that, you could, um, you could, you could be fined and charged and arrested. This posed a huge problem for the March of the Living, who goes to Poland every year with 10,000 kids, and shows them what the Polish people did to the Jewish people in Poland. The Polish people said, we were under occupation. It's Germany's fault. It's not Poland's fault. We were under occupation, and it's not our problem. We didn't do anything. Of course not. Of course not. The Poles were totally innocent during the Holocaust. And if you believe that, I'll sell you a bridge in Brooklyn. But uh, don't buy the bridge if you're an Orthodox Jew because you might get beaten up because that's what's happening in Brooklyn these days. It's what happened in Poland, too. The Polish people rose up against the Jews the same way the Nazis did. They turned in their friends. They turned in their relatives. They turned in their bosses and their employees. They beat them on the streets and handed them to the Nazis and then stole the Jewish uh, properties and, and the Jewish belongings. The Poles were just as guilty as the Germans and the Ukrainians and, and mostly every other country that was under Nazi occupation and, willful, and willfully participated in the extermination program of the Jewish people. To say they weren't is disingenuous and it's a lie. And the Polish people trying to clear their name is disgraceful instead of just apologizing and accepting their role in this historic event. Germany, on the other hand, paid blood money to the Jews. At the beginning of Israel, Germany paid blood money to Israel. They, uh, they, they gave Israel cars and, and vehicles, Volkswagens, and allowed the Jews to, to, to buy the stuff very inexpensively. It was guilt money. They paid guilt money and blood money to survivors. Reparations, they called it. But how do, you, how do you pay reparations for the murder of over 6 million Jews? How do you pay reparations for the crime of, uh, of, of slaughtering, committing genocide against the people? How do you pay reparations for the torture and the horrific lives that some of these people lived and the damage done to them, so ingrained in them that they were never able to live a normal life after the war? Those who survived. We've now reached the 80th anniversary of the beginning of World War II. Germany's president expressed deep remorse for the suffering his nation inflicted on Poland and the rest of Europe during the World War II, warning of the dangers of nationalism as world leaders gathered Sunday in the country where the war started at incalculable costs. Speaking at a ceremony in Warsaw, Frank Walter Steinmeier recalled World War II as a German crime that his nation will never forget. The German president expressed gratitude to the Poles for the gestures of forgiveness Poland has bestowed in return. I bow in mourning to the suffering of the victims, Steinmeier said. I ask for forgiveness for the German historical debt. I affirm our lasting responsibility, the statement said, calling the war a painful legacy. He recalled that under the Nazi plan for Poland, its culture, its cities, its people, everything living was supposed to be destroyed. The German apology and the direct reference to the Polish victims of the war, not just the Jewish ones, underscores a victory for the Polish government's diplomatic efforts. Over the past several years, Poland has been actively trying to reshape the culture of memory vis-a-vis -vis the war. 
As part of these efforts undertaken in the legal sphere, publicly, in the media, and through diplomacy, Poland and the Polish people are portrayed as Nazi victims. Their part in saving Jews is emphasized, and their part in collaborating with the Nazis is diminished. This policy has drawn sharp criticism from both Polish and Israeli historians, who, while recognizing Polish victims, claim that the government is distorting history by minimizing the persecution of Jews by Poles. In separate observances taken place in the Westerplatte Peninsula on the Baltic coast, where the war's first battles were fought, Poland's prime minister spoke of the need for redress. The war meant not only fire for the Polish homes, it meant the death of Poland's hopes, Poland's future, and the end of Poland's science, Polish universities, Polish factories. Matus Marikiki said, For this reason we should talk about these losses. We should demand redress, he added. Poland's nationalist government has been raising the issue of reparations from Germany ever since it took power in 2015. Germany says that matter is closed. Now, the emotional Warsaw ceremony was part of a day-long commemoration that started at 4.40 a.m., the exact hour that, according to survivors, the war's first bombs fell, killing civilians. Nazi Germany attacked Poland on September 1, 1939, triggering near a nearly six-year war that killed more than 70 million people. Led by President Polish President Andrzej Duda, it was also attended by U.S. Vice President Mike Pence and the German Chancellor Angela Merkel, as well as leaders from around the world. It also included the surrounding of a remembrance and warning bell honoring the fighters and victims of the conflict. President Donald Trump, originally scheduled to attend the event, had to cancel, setting the need to be home with the approach of Hurricane Dorian. The visit would have been Trump's second to Poland since taking office in 2017, reflecting his cozy relationship with Poland's right-wing nationalist president. Following speeches by Pence, Steinmeier, and Duda, each attending state leaders, including Ukrainian President, uh, Prime Minister, excuse me, uh, Vlod, Volodymyr Zelensky, but not Russian Vladimir Putin, approached the memorial bell and sounded it in a joint sign of memory and as a warning against conflicts. In his speech, Duda called on the audience not to close their eyes today to imperial tendencies and to forceful changes at the border. Duda said, recently in Europe, we are dealing with a return of imperious tendencies with attempts to change borders by force with aggression against countries, seizure of lands, capturing of people. He said that turning a blind eye is not the recipe for preserving peace. It's a simple way, in fact, to give consent to further attacks. The Polish president did not name the country at fault, but of course, he was referring to Russian actions against Georgia and Ukraine. He, he was definitely talking about Moscow as the aggressor. Rewriting history has become a pastime uh, these days. The 21st century has seen rewriting of history as an epidemic. Now, now it's not the first time that history has been rewritten. I mean, if we think about history altogether, we have to understand that history is always written by the victors. It's never written by the victims, and there's a reason for that. The victors like to tell the story of their victory, and the victims never like to boast about losing. So the victors always write history, and the victims always, you know, just accept whatever the victors wrote. And when you're, and think about when people tell you stories, and and how the exaggerations happen in these stories they tell you, and you understand that when when history is written, sometimes the stories are exaggerated. Now I I do not believe for a second that the Polish role in persecuting the Jews was an exaggerated role. I do not believe for that for a second because I know firsthand. Well, I guess it would be secondhand, but I spoke to somebody who knew firsthand. I've spoken to many people who knew firsthand. I'm the descendant of the people who saw it firsthand, who were witnesses to the Polish, uh, the Polish persecution of the Jewish people. To believe for even a second that the Polish people were not guilty, at least the majority of the Polish people, were not guilty of committing these crimes, these heinous crimes against the Jewish people. Now, were there some Polish people who were around at the time who decided that, um, that they were going to help the Jews? Of course there were. There's always exceptions to the rules. There's always people there who, who don't 
partake in the group think and the and and the massive uh, and the massive uh, group following of, of fascism there's always rebels out there who will fight against the fascist governments and not accept what they want to do to the people there are people out there like that of course but we have to understand that the mass majority supported the nazis the mass majority supported the murder of the Jews. The mass majority participated in the roundups and the killings, volunteered for the SS and volunteered for the Hitler Youth. The mass majority of people in Poland were willing participants in the destruction of the Jewish people. And that we can never forget and that we can never forgive. You don't forgive, you don't forget. You could put it aside and say, okay, Poland today is very different from when Poland was back then, same way as Germany is very different from what Germany is back then. But in my opinion, you can't forget what they did. You can't stand back and, 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 and look from like a third person, like an eagle-eyed point of view, maybe in 100 years, maybe in 50 years, maybe even 30 years. When people like me, who have direct connection to survivors of this atrocity, are no longer with us, maybe then, in the next generation, people could look at this and say, all right, on a historical point of view, they were guilty, but now we could forgive them and forget it. And let's all love each other. Maybe we could do that the next generation or a generation after that. But I still remember Holocaust survivors. I still had contact with Holocaust survivors. There are still Holocaust survivors alive today. And to tell them that their families were destroyed by, by Polish people who turned them into to, to the Nazis who participated with the roundups, who stole their land and stole their, their houses and stole their belongings... Stole their families, killed them. I I don't often tell personal stories, but you know my my grandparents were Holocaust survivors from Poland, and the stories that they told were were just mind-bogglingly shocking. That people they knew, people who lived near them, people they were friends with, how they turned on them when the Nazis took over. Sure, you might say, okay, listen, listen, people want to survive. And the only way to survive is to, um, is, to, is, to, is to cooperate with whatever the governing body is and participate with them, and then they won't kill you. If you cooperate with them and you participate with them, they're not going to come and kill you. Many people argue that, and I've heard that argument over the years hundreds and thousands of times. Does that make the argument correct? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. That's, that doesn't make the argument correct. It just makes it an argument. When fascism rises, then there is... You have two options as a citizen of whatever country fascism rises in. Option number one, you could fight it with all your might. Put your life on the line. Get out there and fight it. Become a rebel and fight it. Try to defeat it from within. Try to defeat it from outside, from inside, however you could defeat it. Number two, you could give in to it and participate. These are your two options. There's no other options. Some Polish people decided to fight it. There was a big partisan movement in Poland where they were fighting the Nazis. Most did not. So to claim that the Nazis and the Polish were totally separate is disingenuous. It's not right. It's actually an insult to the memory of the Holocaust. An insult. A complete, complete insult. I'm glad that people are apologizing for the pain and suffering that they caused. But I'm not such a forgiving person. And while the state of Poland or the country of Poland could forgive, I really can't. I still don't drive cars made from these German companies that existed during the war. I still don't buy Hugo Boss clothing because they made Nazi uniforms. I still boycott the companies that persecuted my people. 
just that kind of guy. I wrote an interesting piece on that, by the way, on the HowieSilberger.com blog. If you go to HowieSilberger.com, there is a, uh, there's a piece. Just scroll down a couple of pieces down. There's a piece about me talking about uh, I drive a Ford, me talking about driving a Ford, and how that's not a contradiction to my boycott of, um, uh, of Nazi products. It's, uh, it's an interesting piece if you want to read it, HowieSilberger.com. I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. I want to thank you for joining me. Mark, David, and uh, Shelton, Eric Fried, in case you were wondering, we'll be back in the next couple of weeks. And we'll be back again next Sunday night at 8 p.m. right here on the True Talk Radio Network, www.truetalkradio.com. Through real strong It's the start of something big We can't be 